So welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast. This is where we explore the new game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well-being in the workplace. Join us if you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business. Join us if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber. And join us if you want to be part of the new revolution in understanding how the mind works and recognize that we are more than just our psychology and that that can lead to better results. Welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast series. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about project management, change management, and what gets in the way of organizations realizing full benefits of that. Now, today's episode is a little different because we're not going to be going so upstream into the mechanics of the mind or what's before our psychology. Instead, we're going to be looking at what happens when businesses don't understand the human element and how that affects the uh, success and benefits realization of projects and change. And for those of you who are unaware, Quality of Mind actually sits in an organization called Making Change Work. So this is our heartland, helping organizations change and transform. So for this conversation, I'm joined by Jana from Project Genetics. She's going to introduce herself in a moment, but she's a, a, a wonderfully modern global citizen working across the world. So Jana, welcome to the show. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, I founded Project Genetics in, in 2014. And, but it all, the story kind of started in 2008 when I was taking my MBA and I had to take a course in production management. And for some reason, project management fell in that that section. And so I was like, oh, well, that looks like the least of all evils. And so I took this project management course and realized I am project management, right? The, like everything about project management fit who I was as a person. And I, I felt like they created this career field just for me. And so at that point was, it was a pivotal moment in my life because now everything I did was trying to figure out how do I get into this career field? And so I, I joined the Project Management Institute, started volunteering, and finally Cigna Healthcare, which is a insurance health insurance company in the United States, offered me a job with no project management experience, and it was in IT, and I had no IT experience, and I excelled. I got promoted three times in, in three and a half years, and it was just an amazing experience. But as I sat there and I kind of thought about where do I want to go, I realized that if I wanted to continue to grow and be a leader, I had to pursue where I was passionate. And that was really project management. And so I decided to uh, leave Cigna and, you know, it, it was really hard. So the future was in leading a project management consulting company and really, you know, when I these companies, you know, the big four would be in there delivering projects. And it often felt like the project managers were an afterthought. So yeah, they knew all the skills of project management, but they didn't really understand project leadership. And so that's why I started Project Project Genetics. And it's been, been a great journey since then. Okay. So it's, it's an interesting thing that we might get into between project management and project leadership. So can you just say a little bit about the difference between those two in your mind? 
Yeah. So project management, you know, you've got the PMBOK or you, there's, there's, you know, Prince two or whatever, a methodology, right. That you can go and you can learn and you can, you can follow the steps and you can execute it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your project's going to go well because it doesn't really address how do you gain buy-in from the team? How do you understand how to look to the future, as well as understand what's happening in the present, you know, noticing the details as well as the big picture and constantly moving between both. Another big thing that I find is that people don't know how to ask C-suite as well as communicate to your developer and tester and change your communication. A lot of attributes that, that you know, to have a successful, successful project that you need to have that goes beyond, you know, what's your change plan, communication plan, uh, risk plan, et cetera. Yeah. And I think that's where it would, for me, the reason I was interested in talking to you is it overlaps with what we do with quality of mind, because what you're pointing to is there's, a, there's a technical process side of project management, which is doing all the Prince two or the ad cars or whatever it happens to be, which you need to do to sort of structure things but then it's not just that it's a load more than that there's the there's the as you say is the the people side the human side the leadership the vision all that kind of stuff and like and it sounds like what you're doing is kind of making sure that it isn't just the process structure tick box stuff but you're bringing that human leadership side into it which absolutely yeah it makes a lot of sense now you know, anyone who's been around big business and change will know that there's often a lot of change projects and project management going on, but it's often also the case that if you look statistically, a lot of projects and change projects don't actually realize their full benefit, that they don't do it on time, they don't do it in budget. So I'd love to know from your perspective, having worked in this area, given the prevalence of not reaching full benefits realization, what do you think's in the way of that? Oh, well, I think it usually starts at the very beginning. Projects don't, when it comes to project benefits, projects don't kick off the right way. And, and one of that is really around the quality of the business case and truly understanding what it is you are trying to achieve. What is your benefits realization plan? What have you documented about what what you're, the reason you're doing this project and the outcomes you're expecting. Because if you don't document, if you don't, and, and I use document just as in the term of, you know, making sure you solidify an idea, but if you aren't solidifying those ideas, how are you ever supposed to get there? And so, you know, I think that's the first place they go wrong is that, that nobody takes the time to really say, what are we going to get out of this investment? Okay. So the first thing is people aren't clear to start with. And they aren't aligned, right? And what else do you see is in the way to full benefits realization? You know, the other one is really a, I, in Agile, they use the term gulf of evaluation. And what that means is the business describes their problem or, or, or what they're after. And then, tech, you know, the, the, the project team interprets it differently. And so the results isn't what the business expected. And that's the gulf of evaluation. And, and I know you had a guest on your show talking about Agile and the importance of sprints. Well, that's what Agile is trying to prevent is that gulf of evaluation. And so that's another key reason that people, that, that projects miss the mark when it comes to benefits realization is they spend so much money to get to this result and the result doesn't meet the business expectation. 
Yeah. And it, and it's interesting because as regular listeners will know, everything I do, I always bring back to the mind, right? That's just, just where I go, my thinking. So mm-hmm. as I'm listening to you there, I'm hearing, right. So the first problem is around not having clarity, right? Um, and that's to start with and alignment. And then the second problem is not what I was, I would, I would call not understanding separate realities, understanding that someone could hear the same words or see the same project document and take different meaning from that. And then you get what you're calling the gulf between the two, right? So, you know, for me, when people are in a higher aperture, a higher quality of mind, it's much easier to get that clarity and understand others. And when people get into a lower quality of mind, that's where that divergence of understanding between people start to happen. And if it isn't checked in on, it just carries on getting wider. And then, and then, you know, some point in the process, people will look at the change management going on and going, hang on a minute, we're not heading in the right way. And then what happens, and it'd be interesting to get your view on this is that they start to then get worried that, oh no, we're, we're behind time or we're over budget or we've got change fatigue kicking in. And actually that aperture, their quality of mind starts to go lower, right? Mm. <laughs> so they start to drive the car with an even dirtier windscreen rather than go, oh, my mind's telling me now I need to step back, get clearer and then go forward. Well, you know, the other piece taking that to extreme point is people continue projects that maybe should be stopped. Right. Right. People get afraid to kill a project because of how much money they've invested. And you've got to realize that that's that's a sunk cost. And and, you know, if you continue to push forward, you're you're going to end up spending more money to still not get the result that you want. And so sometimes you have to have the courage to raise your hand and say, maybe we shouldn't even be doing this anymore. Maybe we didn't get the requirements right. Maybe we've done, you know, come up with architected the wrong solution. Maybe the market changed and now the solution no longer fits where the market is headed. And so, you know, I find companies have a really hard time saying, maybe we should just quit, especially if you're talking about a multi-million dollar project that they've put, you know, a year, two years into. It's really hard to say, let's stop because it feels like failure. Right. And companies don't deal with failure very well. <laughs> well, I'm interested to know what you think is the reason why they struggle to do that. From, from the leader perspective, how come they struggle to do, take that, make that call? I think it's a few things. One, they look at how much they've invested. So they think if they stop that they've wasted all the money and maybe they have, but how much more will you waste if you continue <laughs> moving forward? Yeah. Two, reputations are at, uh, at stake, right? So sometimes people um, said, yes, this is the way they sh- we, we should go. And maybe the culture and the company doesn't look kindly on people who make you know, the wrong decision, you know, and three, I think it's just, you know, there's some personal investment in there. It's really hard to stop something that you spent so much time trying to make it succeed. It's, you know, it's really hard to quote unquote, give up. And we live in a society, you know, that, you know, I know there's a lot of people who are trying to change this mentality, but we are afraid to fail and corporations don't give a lot of latitude for failure. And, you know, the ones that do are the ones that generate tons of ideas and then outperform uh, their competitors because people are testing new ideas, trying new things. Yeah, they're failing. So maybe five ideas fail, but one exceeds and it exceeds at a far greater return than the company who's so afraid to try something new that they never fail, you know? So uh, having that 
that assurance that failure is not a mortality event is hard for people to accept. And I, I, I think I would, I would agree with you on that. There's a lot of people that they're quite attached, invested in, in what they're doing, and that may be a change project or wh whatever. And I think, you know, what we found in our work with quality of mind is that when people have an understanding of the quality of mind, they find it much easier to have that clarity and they're less egoically invested. And, and I don't mean egotistical. I mean, it's not occasionally you get people like that, but, but we've all been conditioned that our sense of okayness is based on, you know, some, some degree of outside validation or achievement. And I make a distinction between being kind of invested and attached in an outcome and just being focused and committed. Right now, these are just mm -hmm. words, but they're pointing to a difference because in when you're invested in and kind of attached, there's something in you that you self identified with the project or the change initiative going well. Right. Mm -hmm. And that blinkers you from seeing really what needs to happen. Now, when you're just committed and focused, you, you still want it to go well and you're still going to try. It's not like you just don't care, but you, you're not self identified with it. Right, which allows right. you to steer the project with with more objectivity, more perspective, more clarity, and and you will kill it if it's not necessary. But I think a lot of people are invisibly attached, invested and attached it, it, at a level of self, a level of conceptual mind, which is really unhelpful for organisations. You know, I something you said about that attachment remind me like. One of the reasons that I think being a consultant is such a benefit to companies is because I feel like a neutral party, right? right? I don't have to play the politics. I don't have to worry about if tomorrow my boss is going to want to fire me. I mean, sure, the client could fire me, but they usually don't fire you for telling the truth, right? So I can often come in and speak, you know, and my team come in and speak truth to them that they may not be willing to hear from their own team for multiple reasons. One, because, you know, when you're, when it's your own team, it's, it's kind of like getting advice from your family, right? You're like, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, mom, I get it, whatever. But if your best friend were to come and give you the same advice, you might listen to it or a mentor, right? But sometimes when it's your family, you kind of take it for granted. And I, I think that happens in companies. So one, you get that out, you know, you're not part of the family. So you're a little bit of an outsider, but two, you get a different perspective, right? So when you're a consultant or, you know, um, you see the whole picture because you're not encompassed in the day-to-day -day operations, the day-to-day -day politics, the day-to-day -day culture, and you stand outside of all that and you can assess what's going on. So I, I think that's one of the values that you know consulting brings to an organization is they can help navigate those questions of should we kill this project or should we keep pushing forward? You know, the consultant may not be, have the answer all the time, but they can help facilitate the company to right. get to an answer that isn't, you know, encumbered by all of those organizational cultural things that are going on. Now, I'd love to know your view on something that I've come across and my colleagues have come across in, in, in change and projects is when you have that conversation with someone in the organization, right? Because you can see a little bit more clearly than they can. And actually you realize they can kind of see too, right? Yep. Yet <laughs> they then struggle to tell the other stakeholders or sponsors in the program or the, or the organization that that needs to happen. That they're almost, there's something seems to stop them because they kind of agree with you, right? And they would go, well, they sort of half agree with you. I think deep down, they probably know, but they almost feel like they can't stop it or mm. they don't want to be the one that does that. Have you, have you found that, that someone actually can agree with what you're saying, but then it doesn't really change anything? 
Yes, but I think that the way we get through it is since we're delivering projects, we usually have a steering committee or, you know, we have multiple people that we're, that we're reaching. And so when I have a message that I need to say, I have more than one avenue to get that message out. So if I'm, I'm going with one person and they're not doing anything about it, there's other stakeholders that I can have similar conversations. Now, all that said, sometimes you can't go high enough to still make the change, right? Because you can have, you know, we, we run projects where we're working with all the board of directors, except maybe the CIO or CEO, and they're all scared of the CEO. Yeah. So they may still not speak the truth beyond it. Yeah. But at that point, I feel like I've done the best that I can because I, I you know, I've painted the picture I've shown them solution or the steps to get to a solution. And, you know, it's like that whole, if you, you can take a horse to the water, but you can't make it drink type of concept. Yeah. There's a point where I'm like, I've done what I can. Yeah. And I, and I think that again, because I, I was, example I was thinking of was when the, it was the person right at the top that no one wanted to tell, right? Mm -hmm. Because they risk for their own career if they did tell them even though they kind of Absolutely. all knew so everyone's sort of playing the game and i think that become that can become a little frustrating if you're the consultant knowing what is there's a difference between often what the organization wants and what it needs right mm. so but again if if then you can in your own mind rather than getting frustrated by that just go well look i'm, I'm doing the best i can here you know otherwise you're going to fall in the same trap that they do right so i think as a consultant as a change person it's always about keeping an eye on your own quality of mind, keeping an eye on your own aperture, right? Because otherwise you can't really see others. You know, mm. it, 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 as I, I use the metaphor that if you're driving along with a dirty windscreen and think, well, I haven't got time to stop and clean it because I'm in a rush, which often feels like what organizations do with, with project. Well, we start, you know, we, we're, well, mm. we, we've got to do this now and that's got to get done. So, you know, the, the idea of doing something right first time, you know, they'll do that third time in sort of thing. And we often get called into projects with quality of mind once it's already gone wrong. Mm -hmm. right. And you said at the beginning, this is about getting things right to start with. So people, stakeholders are often already a little bit not listening or like, well, maybe it's an IT provider or, also, oh, well, they've done this and that, you know, and, and then yep. You, yep. people have gotten themselves into that funk, but only half spotting it's that. And that's where, I mean, the mind's always the biggest variable. That's when it really plays out. So I think what really protects that from happening to me is about projects have a definite end. I know I won't be where at that client forever. And I, and so even if I don't know the specific end date, because, you know, it's a failing project that we've come in to recover and, you know, who knows, it might take a whole year to turn it around. At least I know there's an end because I find when I'm in, you know, more of an operations role or something like that, you know, from my past, when every day looks the same and you don't know when it's going to change, it's very easy to get that feeling that you're talking about. So that's part of the reason I love project management. Even within an organization, you don't even have to be necessarily a, a consultant, but even within an organization, if you're on projects and it's a tough project, you still know that that project has an end one way or another. Either it's going to go live or it's going to get killed and there's, there's a definite end. And so for me, I always have that in the back of the, my mind. And so that really helps my mindset because it's like hope. Well, I think, I think what I'm hearing from the mind perspective is that, that, 
you know, because I often talk about people who get very attached and layered. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. make lots of meaning about what's going on. They, they, as I said earlier, that they, they start to get invested and attached to it. But what it sounds like you, you do is you, you don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't get so attached to it. You know, it's a point in time and, and that helps you. Okay. Now I want to just move the conversation on a little bit to talking about, so, you know, people in organizations might have experienced when a project's going really well, everyone's, you know, sort of confident they're in flow and then times when it's the opposite of that right <laughs> so I'd, I'd love to know what you would say when it comes down to a, a project where you've got really confident project leaders and project managers who are, who are delivering and things are moving forward what, what do you think the secret of that is you know what, what's going on there well i think it's down to the individual whether the project's going well or going terrible um you know, a project manager can choose to have confidence. And there's a lot of value to confidence. There's value at a personal level, and then there's value at the team level. So at the personal level, I really think that if you have confidence, you can achieve more. So I completely have that consultant mentality. When somebody says, can you do that? I say, of course I can. And then I may never have done it before in my life, but I have confidence in my ability to learn. And so I feel like I can achieve you know, overcome any problem or achieve anything that I, that I want to achieve. And it also gives me more willingness to take risks. And as you know, when you're willing to take a risk, the payoffs are better. But if you don't have that confidence, then you're never willing to take a risk. Mm. And, and that still becomes important in a project because, you know, what happens if you decide to change how the project, you know, I've gone into an organization and said, you know what, we're going to, and they're delivering a waterfall project. And I'll be like, we're going to come in and we're going to put in this agile element to it and ch- completely change the way that they're operating. And that's a risk because it could fail. But I know that I can take whatever happens, analyze what's going on and adjust. So I think really confidence in being a project leader is really important. The second, how it comes then into the team Mm. is that team members are more willing to follow somebody who's confident. And it doesn't mean you have to have all the answers, but if you're up in front of a team and you're talking about, hey, Uh, this is the objective. I know we can do it. We, you know, we've got all the the pieces necessary and here, let's figure out how to do it. They're going to get on board a lot easier than somebody who's like, oh, this seems like it's really hard. I don't know if we'll be able to do it. What if we fail, right? Because nobody wants to follow somebody like that because then they feel like they might fail. But if you project that we're going to succeed one way or another, the team can usually get on board with that. And, and they, they have more trust that decisions will be made, which is critical for, you know, a project to continue moving forward and eventually be successful. Yeah. I think it's interesting. There's a lot in what you say there. And I think one of the things that I spot which is so valuable, which is needed more and more nowadays. And it's a sort of, you could probably associate it with the confidence, but it's the ability to just hold that space of ambiguity, right? So sometimes mm. you don't know, right? Mm-mm. It's just, and it's best not to know. There's a lot of, I, I think society overvalues knowing and undervalues not knowing, right? Yeah. Now, people who are very in a sort of a, a, a lower quality of mind tend to default to I need to know I need certainty, I need certainty, right? Now, great leaders are able to hold that space of ambiguity of not knowing uh, of being agile, but I don't mean agile methodology, I mean, right. you know, the, the original meaning of the word. Yep. And 
that that's a sort of a quiet confidence that well we don't know yet but we will know right now yeah. people will follow that when they get a sense that that's okay but if, if you're someone that kind of gives off that well we need to know what's going to happen here and what's going on there and it, it, it doesn't have that sort of um calmness around the ambiguity I, th I think that makes a big difference yeah so let me give you a really good example of you know i told you i started at cigna healthcare with no it experience and i felt that helped me a lot because it changed the way that I asked questions. And so at one point in my career there, I was asked to take over a failing project. And when I stepped in and, and you know, the first thing I do is just observe, right? And there was a project manager in place and this person was going to hand it over to me. And when I observed, I realized that this person was too technical. So they were trying, they were basically getting in the weeds and trying to solve the problems of the project because they knew so much that they were getting in their own way. Uh, and they weren't being able to keep their head up to be able to see what's coming down the path to be able to prevent you know, risks turning into issues and things like that. And so when I came in, it, you know, it was very helpful that I didn't know technology. You know, I didn't, you know, try to step in and be an architect or something like that. And so then I could even ask stupid questions intentionally, right? I'll be like, oh, well, you know, I don't understand. You're talking about this is eight digits and this is 10 digits. What if we just add leading zeros or, or whatever? But and it yeah. may have been a completely bad idea, but just by asking the question, I, I had people who would be like, well, no, that won't work. But now that you say that, this might work. Mm. Um, so, so that really helps. Now, the caveat to that is where it doesn't, this setup doesn't work is when organizations use project managers as their technical leaders as well. Right. And, and I don't think that's a good combination, first of all, but you know, when you're using them as a technical leader that, you know, there's been projects that I've taken on where there is no strong architect and it is really hard to muscle through getting to the right solution because I'm not the technical person. So I don't know how to make, you know, say Oracle ERP work. And that's really frustrating. So, it, it, and then on the flip side, when you have a technical, you know, you combine that technical leadership and project manager, I, I again find that, that the person who's highly technical gets too in the weeds and then the project it's, still doesn't succeed. It's such a good point that, because I think what happens it, it, to me, it comes down to organizations not really understanding the competencies that you need yes. for successful project and change management. So what they'll do is that yes. there's a project coming along. They'll want to give someone an opportunity to expand their skill base, right? So maybe they're a technical mm -hmm. lead, they're an IT lead, and they say, oh, can you run the project? So, you know, for example, can you run the project side, right? Yep. And they think, well, what, what a nice opportunity for this person to learn something new. And yes, it is, but realize that person doesn't, have that expertise right yet you know would they so and you're going to drop them in the deep end which you could argue is okay but they need the support the mentoring the sponsorship you know around that and they need to really understand the difference between the roles now i think this is all about how the ability for someone to be able to if, if they are playing with two hats if you want to call it this the technical lead and the project lead yes they need the companies of both but it's being able to know with real in the moment clarity what's my role here, right? In mm. this meeting, what, what am I? And being able to flick between the two, which again is a little bit like we talked earlier about leadership and management. You know, that's what leaders need to do. 
right? Yes. So there's a time when I'm not many people are pure, pure, pure leaders, a hundred percent. They sometimes have to do some management, mm. right? But right. It, they're very different ways of looking at things, leadership and management. So I think there's something about our own ability to spot and go, okay, whoa, okay. This is what I, this is what the situation needs now from me rather than, yeah. you know, so I, I think again, and that synthesis of being able to decide that and see that again is a quality of mind thing. Because when we're in a low quality of mind, we just get we put the wrong hat on. Um, yeah, you know, I look at yeah, exactly. <laughs> I look at you know each role has a different combination of leadership and management that they need, and I look them at them as independent parallel lines, meaning you know, you've got this one spectrum of leadership and you can fall somewhere on that spectrum. And then you have a spectrum of management that, you know, that you fall on and certain roles need different combinations of those. So you can be, there is no, are you a manager or a leader? You're both. Yeah. But it's just how much are you 60% leader, 40% manager, or are you 60% manager, 40% leader? And, and, and I think it's that companies don't take time to understand those competencies for um, the various roles because some roles need a lot more management and we should celebrate that. But then some roles need a lot of leadership. Yes. And even those words, as people, listeners are going now, well, you know, what do you mean by management and what do you mean by leadership? Even, even the words themselves don't really mm. say much. I mean, you know, we're, we're guessing that you and I are pointing to a similar thing, but, <laughs> but that's the one of the first yes. ones. So it's interesting, isn't it? So the other question I was thinking was, so, you know, some of what we've been talking about here is, you know, a little bit more technical on the change and project side, whatever. Now, imagine you're listening to this as a business leader in an organization. Maybe you're not that familiar with project management or change, but you're kind of running a business and you know you need to do some. What would be like if you were to give some kind of advice or a few top tips for someone who's um, about to start a change program or a project management, you know, something they're doing, what would you tell them? One, get the right people in place. I mean, I think that's the most important thing, right? Whether it's you or somebody else, like really evaluating what it's going to take to achieve whatever your objective is, is really important and taking the time to make sure you can resource that properly. And then I think the other thing that a lot of companies, and you'll probably appreciate this, um, is that they don't give a lot of value, first to project management, but even secondarily worse to change management. Less than half of projects, I mean, I'm talking about it's probably 30 to 40% realize their um, benefits, taking it back to the beginning. Mm. And the reason they don't realize their benefits is they don't get strong adoption. And the reason they don't get strong adoption is because companies don't invest in change management because it's this touchy feely thing that we don't really understand. You know, how do we understand the change curve? Well, who are early adopters and laggards and how do you get them across the change curve? And so that people will adopt the solution. And so companies extremely undervalue that they'll say, here's a million dollars, go implement this ERP or go implement Salesforce or something, but not take the time to say, you know, what do our users really need? And what is it going to take to get our users to actually use the solution? Mm. It's Yeah, I'm very, very familiar with that. And, and that's what we use quality of mind for really is to start to make what the metaphor would use is to make the soil fertile right? Otherwise you're, you're putting these expensive seeds onto stony ground and then it's not working. So then you're buying a fertilizer to try and make the seeds grow right <laughs> in the metaphor. And then you'll get patches of it. 
you know, all yeah. that little patch of the field's grown nicely, you know, and over there, mm -hmm. well, there's nothing, it's barren over there, right? Yeah. So I, I, I think you're totally right. I think organizations don't really understand change management or, you know, and, and then and, and integration with project management and they try and do it to the organization and then they play lip service to the human side. Now, I'm obviously biased on that because of what I do. You're probably a little bit biased, but still you, you, you're on the front line and you're seeing this, you know, and that statistic that 30, 40% don't, I mean, that's a, wow. You know, if, if you're looking at that and going, well, 30, 40% of projects don't change projects, don't realize the full benefit. Yeah. 30 to 40% only realize. So 60 to yeah, 60% don't, don't get it. Yeah, exactly. So, so most don't get that. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've actually seen some statistics before around 80, 90% don't do it. So, yeah. I mean, but it, it depends. Yeah. It depends like which industry we're course. talking about. But, but it's whatever yeah. the number is, it's, it's a bad number, right? So, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's shocking. Yeah. And what's funny is even when you talk to organizations that kind of know that, right and they come to a specialist like like yourself or what we do and they, they've had some projects that haven't worked you say oh good they, they've learned the hard way yeah they, <laughs> well i'm going to ask you this before i give you my view so they've, they've come along and said yeah we want to make this work we know it can go wrong and then you have your advice and you want to help them and guess what then happens so, so i'm going to say they don't always listen and i'm interested to get your view on that yeah they'll say it's too expensive because change management, unfortunately, is expensive it, because, you, well, I, you know, obviously it depends how many people who are impacted by the change, but it, it takes a lot to, to make something successful. So that's what they do when they see a price tag. Let's say you put a $5 million price tag. First, they cut out change management. And then the next thing they cut back is project management. And they're trying to get it down to this price point. But what they don't realize is that short-sightedness actually makes the project cost more in the long run, either because it takes longer for the project to go live. And then they pull in, you know, project management back in and change management back in. And after that, they've already spent $7 million or it's because the project gets implemented without all those benefits. We, again, that we talked about at the beginning. And so then they don't get the adoption, yes. um, which then costs inefficiency or scrapping the solution and going to a new solution. I, you know, a great example of that is we had a client who used Salesforce and everybody like the, they, they implemented Salesforce and everybody hated Salesforce. No, we hate Salesforce. We hate Salesforce. So then they went to Microsoft Dynamics CRM and they, what was funny is they took all the bad data out of Salesforce and they put it in Dynamics and everybody hated Dynamics because again, nobody took the time to really say, what is the problem with this solution and really, you know, make it so that the users wanted to, to adopt it. Mm. And I guess that you have to point the finger at leadership on that for not, for allowing that to happen. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think, I think you're right. I think they get scared by the cost and time, which would be easier if they knew up front you know, what it was, right? And mm -hmm. then didn't try and hack away at the proposal, right? So oh, we don't need that, we don't need that bit. Because I think that what we're saying is the bits they don't think they need are absolutely crucial, but they may not look like they're needed. It'd be like, be like you know, for me, it'd be like ordering a car without a steering wheel. Now, maybe in 20 years time, Tesla will do that. But if you like, <laughs> you know, oh yeah, we'll get rid of the steering wheel. Do we need brakes? No, I don't think so. So or it's like yeah. using uh, less, less, you know, it demands a certain high premium petrol and you put crappy petrol in it, yeah. right? Like the car's gonna go, but how long is it going to go yeah. for? <laughs> yeah. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy 
that you know that because they don't get the full benefit so then they're like they're glad they didn't invest so much you're like well no that's backwards so anyway it's quite easy from our seats to kind of point the finger at the organization going you're getting it wrong but i think what we have to remind ourselves is that people are generally doing the best they can Generally, not yep. no one's really yep. absolutely. How can I sabotage my business today? So, so no, that, that's what fascinates not. me because then I realize, you know, it's the mind, right? Mm. Because no one's trying not to do it well, right? right? But you can't see what you can't see sometimes. Now, in retrospect, you may need to be, and that's why I keep coming back. And regular listeners will know I, I'm uh, <laughs> always go the same place. It comes back to the quality of mind. It comes back to the aperture you're in. And I think a lot of things you're pointing to are interesting because they're kind of symptoms of what I, I point to, you know, on, on the good side and yeah. the bad side. So here's here's a confession confession time. I am actually a crappy change manager. So I am a fantastic project manager, but I'm one of those people who's like, I told you once, why don't we all do it? Or why can't everybody just do yeah. it, what we said? And so, but, and the reason I share that is because I understand how important change manager change management is. So like when on, you know, when I, if I were to lead a project, I bring a change manager in because I know that's not me, but I, you know, so, you know, the listeners should believe me when I say I, as a crappy change manager can tell you change management is critical for project success. We, um, and the spotting of that, the fact that you know that it'd be like a chef going, I don't cook dessert, right? Right. Or, yep. or, first course. Doesn't matter I'm not a saucier. Right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you go in our restaurant, we'll need someone that does that. Otherwise yep. our, our guests are not going to have a very nice meal. Right. Right. Exactly. I think it's such a good point that you've seen the difference between change management and project management, although, although you know, they are integrated at one level, of course. Right. They um, are. But you know enough to know where your commerce suite is and what a project needs in the different roles. And I think, you know, you know, when you were saying at the beginning, what we would, well, when we asked, what would, what would you, advice would you give to a leader? You know, resource it right. Now, I think mm-hmm. what I'm hearing you say in that is understand you're going to need project people. You're going to need technical people. You're going to need change people, right? And you need to get the right recipe. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so I have a question for you mm, because please. you are a change expert. So I would love to hear, like, you know, you, you, you kind of touched on a little bit about project f- fatigue and, but if you have these long projects where it's like, you know what, maybe we should just go live and then muscle through it on the other side. And, you know, whether it's because we have tons of resistance or because like, you know, ev- like little problems keep popping up and it's dragging the project out. Just curious if you've seen anything like what happens when a company just muscles through it and says, we're going to go live with what we have and then fix it on the backside. What does that do from a change perspective? Um, right. Well, if you do that, I mean, what you'll find is that you'll, a lot of people are not adopting the new ways of working, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's say it's an ERP or something. So you'll have people doing work around, you'll have people kind of yes. trying to keep the legacy <laughs> system alive for some reason they mm. keep making up. Right, and the new system's just not happening, or they they're doing the new system but still using kind of some of the old thinking, right? Yeah, so they're trying to get the new system to do the new to do the old thing, right, and then getting frustrated, yeah. and you'll get a lot of lip service. So, how do you balance though? Which is worse, project fatigue or going live and having to deal with the repercussions of of the workaround? I, I think of- both of them come down to what how you treat the human in this right 
Mm. So if you recognize, if you say to the business, rightly or wrongly, we are launching this thing, right? Even though it's not fit for purpose yet. And we recognize that you're going to have some challenges with that, but we're going to support you with that. We're going to understand yeah. that. We want you to talk to us about them. Let's get a, a real kind of high quality of mind, collective team spirit on this. We'll, we'll fix mm -hmm. out the problems as they go along. And there's, it's going to be bumps. We might annoy our customers. We might annoy our suppliers, but you know, let, let's all recognize that that's, this is where we're at. It's a necessity driven thing. Transparency. And, and, and transparency and talk to us about it. Let's try and understand where our minds really not making this easy for ourselves. We'll help you with resilience. We'll help you with this. We're not going to expect you to work, um, 20 hour days to fix our, our problem, if you want know mm -hmm. I mean? So it's really yep. meeting the person where they're at. Right. Yep. And, and realizing there's a human being and, and it's not just carbon units. And on the same side, you know, if you've got people with change fatigue and, and you start to suggest, oh, we're going to go to change, you know, phase four of this project and everyone's like oh seriously you know right <laughs> <laughs> you know and the heart sinks being here before you've got to then engage them and say well this time we want to we want to you know we know we need to do it differently right but you <laughs> need to tell us when we're not doing it you know when you think we're just going the merry-go-round right and you yeah. have to listen recognize appreciate that a lot of people have been driving with the dirty windscreen to use my metaphor Right. Mm -hmm. And if we carry on doing that, we're going to hit a tree or we're going to go in a ditch, whether it's change right. fatigue or whether it's a, a not for fit purpose system. And it's about also because what also happens in those two scenarios is blame and silos. Right. Yes. So you often get the silo of let's, let's take an ARP or something, you know, the, the IT provider getting blamed for not for not providing, they're then blaming those for not specifying the user tech. So as soon as, so there's a few, what I call rumble strips in the road, warning lights that come on in change when you know that the aperture of the mind's contracted and that's mm. silent mentality, people not listening, Teflon behavior, you know, we go, well, wasn't anything to do with me, you know, people not really owning risks and, and, or identifying them little tribal things happening. So there's enough rumble strips in the road for us to spot that and then go, hang on a minute. We have to address this. Otherwise we're heading somewhere unhelpful. No, that's very true. And you know, one of the, the challenges that I've seen is just how companies don't, you know, everybody's trying to run lean, right? They're always saying, well, oh, we got to do more with less. And, mm. and I get that, right? We always have to be evolving and being more efficient. But, you know, there's comes to a point where you've got to support the change with the right level of resourcing and that and then you can back it back down or something. Because yeah, people get extremely burnt out. And then when you have burnt out resources, your quality goes down. And then once again, you have yeah. an output that isn't it's, ideal. It's very simple to me. You can run, let's call it lean or less is more. Once thing, people are in a great quality of mind, the systems are working, then you can be like an efficient, effective machine. No mm -hmm. problem with having that as an aspiration. No problem yes. at all. But doing that before you've got there in terms of mind and process, it's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. That, that, that just does not work because you're trying to get the, the very outcome you want of the change, which is a more, more, more lean, slick operation. You, you, you've got to resource getting there. Right. right. If you try and get there using the wrong kind of resource, as we said earlier, this is a wrong skill set, people in the wrong quality of mind, wrong leadership. 
you'll just it just won't work and you'll get resentment you'll get burnout and, and you'll get people working and i think there's a lot of this in organizations i find it so fascinating when and this, this happened a little bit over covid when they had to furlough some staff and the organization started working better mm. and then I, oh i didn't know we could work with 20 10 20 percent less people why is that well, and, and all the all studies around the four day week they're doing in Scandinavia, you know, yeah, but you know well, now you're like, you how, how's, that, how's that happen? Yeah. How's that happen? That's because people mm. are not working to the very best of their competency level because of the mind. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's funny that you brought up that four day work week because everybody's like, oh, see, we should do four days. And, and I loved what I believe it was Simon Sinek said that said, you know, Whenever somebody is, is observed, the act of being observed makes them feel more valued and so therefore their output goes up. So if they had done a six day work week, they probably would have gotten the same result. Or because <laughs> they did this experience experiment in the early 1900s where they made the factories lighter and productivity went up. But before they published their findings, they're like, well, what happens if we make it darker? Productivity went up again. So the very act of being observed influenced productivity. So it's kind of that whole. Well, that's, that's, I hadn't thought of that. And, and that, I definitely think there's some correlation cause stuff going on. So we think something's causal, whether it's a factory lie or the four day week to result and it's correlatory, right? Now the yes. biggest cause correlation confusion I see is the mind. Right. So people would, you know, I imagine if we look in a few years time, when people write business books, they will say a lot of the business innovation that happened in the last couple of years is because of COVID. They mm. will say something like innovation creates and necessity creates innovation. You know that phrase, right? Yeah. Oh, because of the situation, people thought differently about how to work. Now, yeah. to me, that's a correlation. The causes the mind shifted. Yeah. Right. Now you could go, oh yeah, but the mind shifted because of COVID. Sort of, but the mind could have shifted in, in Aperture before that, right? Mm. It didn't need a COVID. Right, right. It so happened yeah. the COVID was the, you could call it the trigger point. It was, yeah, I was about to say, it was it the accelerant or, or the, so exactly. I, I, the so what we don't respect is if we allow people the space and understanding of the mind, they can work more productively, more efficiently, more effectively, have breakthrough disruptive thinking without having to wait for, let's call it external world necessity to drive them to that. Mm -hmm. And some right. organizations, we talked about this at the beginning, right? Some organizations are very good at that. They will allow yes. that to happen even when it's not needed in a way. So a lot of, so on the other end, you've got organizations who are doing change right at the last minute because they've got a burning platform, right? The market's falling away or the cost base is gone crunk bonkers. So everyone's already mm. in sort of like slightly in the wrong mindset to do emergent change because it's, they've waited to the last minute because they haven't, mm -hmm. they let necessity be the driver of innovation rather than just the mind being open to, to percolate. Right. Yeah. Well, I, th I think sometimes it's important like to have a healthy amount of fear. And I use fear in the sense that fear that you may go out of business or fear that the market might go in another direction and, and can't be all consuming, right? It's just, it has to be a balance because you can't let fear consume you because as you, I'm sure you would say as well, that it creates mental blocks and then you can't move forward either. But if you get just enough fear to be a motivator, it can help, you know, motivate you to find those disruptors. So I am always thinking about 
what, how can project manager, you know, what's going to cause project management to go, you know, become less valuable or less needed? Like, and so how do you create the value so that project management is always uh, at the forefront and, or, or, you know, how do you make sure it doesn't become obsolete? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so that fear of becoming obsolete is what helps me try to be innovative. And now I'm not saying I'm the expert at it, but at least, at least I'm iterating and trying to see, well, how else could this go so that we can make project management always indispensable? I, I think actually, funny enough, just listening to you, and I realize I don't know you that well, but we've, we've had a nice <laughs> conversation. I think you would do that without the fear. Right. Mm. So I, I, I think that would be something that you would just do because of obviousness for you, because, you know, you said it right at the beginning. I love project management. I'm always thinking about it, you know, and so I think I, I think the fear for you would be optional in that. Right. Okay. So, so sometimes we think we need fear to drive us. But if you think mm. about just widening this to life, the thing, the things we just do. Not because we fear we have to, we just do them because they make sense to us. Right. And yeah. I think what, what I'm hearing in, from you is, well, you just see the value, the intrinsic value to organizations of understanding project management, change management, those things, right? You just see that. I think you said it, it's, it's a craft, not a career or the lovely line like that, which yeah. I, I think it, when people are in that mindset, they don't really need fear. All they mm. need is space to explore future scenarios. Mm -hmm. I, what would happen if this happened? What would happen if this happened? You know, and it's, 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 I find that a much more emergent space to play with. Right. Mm -hmm. But organizations tend not to, they tend to use the fear stick. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't think organizations should use fear. So that's for sure. Like, yeah. I think it's this self, you know, Jim Collins, I think talks about it in his not good to great, but great on purpose. I believe it yeah. is where he's talking about these leaders are always constantly trying to figure out how to stay relevant. Right. Yeah. And, and I feel like there's just this element of fear, not that you put it on anybody else, but it's like this, this, you know, thing that forces you to evolve, right? It's, it's, it, it, maybe it kicks off that fight or flight mentality. So you want to, to fight and make things different and change. I think that's kind of more what I mean, but absolutely hundred okay. percent agree. You do not put fear in your team. Like, yeah. you know, that does not motivate anybody. Well, I, I'll, I'll give the mind nuance on what you're saying. Cause what, what it sounds mm. like is that once you it depends that, 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 that desire to keep evolving, how do we stay relevant, become indispensable, right? It depends what aperture that comes from, because if that comes from what I would call a wide aperture, a high quality of mind, that will just come with obviousness, resourcefulness, creativity, ability to just have a wide view, synthesize information, right? If that comes from a more contracted aperture with, you know, we talk about the being self-identified with things going wrong and failure. If it comes from that aperture, it's, it's nowhere near going to have the power, mm. right? Because then it's like, oh, we have to change or what can we do this? And what, what, what's my role if we do change? And, you know, it, it's not organizationally right. purposeful. So I think no. it's about, and that's why I tend to use the word aperture rather than emotion, emotion words like fear or stress or pressure, because mm. it, it's, it's really, it's not the thing that we're doing that is important. It's the space it's coming from. Mm. Right. So if we need to have a tough conversation with someone in a team or a boss or a stakeholder, or, you know, it's, it's not really necessarily the words we use. It's the space we come from. It's, it's the aperture we're in because that's going to determine how well that lands, our own resourcefulness, our own perspective, our own level of self-identification. 
And when we're in that space, I mean, you know, you talked about great leaders before and, you know, th that's what they give off. Right. Right. And they can hold ambiguity. They can have difficult conversations. They can have the clarity to kill a project if they need to. Right. And that's the space it's coming from. And I think the thing that's missing a lot in organizations is people don't respect that aperture, that space. Mm. Right. They're, they're not tuned in enough. They've come decalibrated from it. Great leaders are, they're already intuitively calibrated, right? Great change consultants, great project consultants are, right? But a lot of people have become decalibrated from it because of the personal noise and preoccupation they've got around self. So now that, you know, if, if people want to know more about that, they should probably listen to other podcasts that, that we've got on here, but that's the essence of it. And I think you're talking beautifully about how it turns up in the project arena or in the change mm. arena or something that all the, you know, organizational transformation. So, yeah. So is there any other, any other thing, just as we're probably drawing towards the end of time, any other questions you want to ask or questions you wished I'd ask you or anything else you want to leave on the table for listeners? No, I, you know, I, I would just say like, just to bring it back to the beginning uh, and talking about like, you know, organizations undertake projects because they expect a return on investment and they need to define that return on investment. And it needs to be more than just money, right? It, it needs to be the, the tangible and intangible, you know, the qualitative and the quantitative. What do we expect out of this? And actually concrete so that everybody is um, aligned and everybody sees the vision. Because, you know, we didn't we could do a whole, a whole podcast on vision, right? Because yeah. vision is really important as well. But to, to lay that all out, because if you don't start with that, it's, it's kind of like that thing. If you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there, right? Like you have to know where it is that you want to end up. Otherwise, you're going to miss the mark. And yeah. so I think that that's important for organizations to. I, yeah, to I totally agree. And I think the one thing I've noticed about that is people need to have an alignment on where they're heading, even mm -hmm. if that place changes halfway through. Right. Yep. So actually it's, it's, it's less the, we're definitely heading here. It's more the clarity of alignment. Yeah. Right. Um, it's not like calibrating. Exactly. Constantly because the world changes too fast sometimes to, to, to have certainty, right? It's more like, so I make a distinction between clarity and certainty, clarity and alignment. Yes. Certainty. Well, maybe. Right. But right. the clarity and alignment is what people need. Otherwise you're all over the shop to start with. And then it just diverse, you know, the divergence just carries on before you know it, people on different pages. So, yeah. So thanks so much for this conversation really enjoyed it there's lots of things you probably could have spent longer talking about <laughs> every sort of you know uh, conversation would have more depth to it if, if we had time so thank you for that and uh, really enjoyed talking and would it be okay if we, we'll probably put some links in the show notes if you want to find out more about what you do and your website and that kind of stuff is that okay if we do that yeah absolutely i'd really appreciate that Brilliant. Would well, love to help companies on their journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a real passion for it and, and expertise. Yeah. You're, you're the intersection of passion and expertise, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is a line I love from your LinkedIn profile. So really nice to talk and uh, listeners have fun being curious and catch you next time. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please reach out and leave us a review and a comment. If you want more info, check out makingchangework.co.uk or Piers Thurston on LinkedIn.